Well, today we are talking about the effects of prejudice. The effects of prejudice. Last week I spoke to you about the roots of prejudice. Do you remember that? And if you weren't here, I want to encourage you, get involved uh, with what's going on on YouTube. Keep liking our YouTube channel, the Go Christian Church one. Like our Facebook, amen. We want this message to go out into the nation. We believe it's really a timely message. Is that just me? Am I hearing something in the spirit? Is there music or something? Okay. How many of you know that we would be free of so many things if we were free from prejudice and stereotyping? This thing is not just about racial dynamics. It's about everything in life. And that's why I am reinforcing this message over and over again. You know, it's so absurd how people think. You know, some people will look at someone and will see they've got a certain hairstyle and they'll think, ah, people with those hairstyles, that person must be rebellious because they've got a hairstyle like that. Almost as if there's a group of people who have this meeting, like, okay, we've got this color hair or we've got this punky fied hairstyle and they sit together and they come up with a plan, they come up with a strategy and they say, guys, everyone in the world who has a hairstyle like this is going to behave in the following way. And yet we judge them like that, don't we? If someone dresses like this and they like the color black, ooh, then they're into this goth stuff and, you know, they're into witches and all of that kind of thing. Maybe they just like black. Amen? Amen. All right. So sometimes it's important to come to a place in our lives where we understand that when we stereotype people and when there's prejudice, it's often based on a lie from the pit of hell. It's often based on a lie from the pit of hell. And the Bible tells us who the father of all lies is. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, When I share with you about prejudice and stereotypes today and the effects of it, we're going to be talking about the effect it has, not just on the person who's the victim, but also on the perpetrator. How many of you know that if you are racist, it actually affects you? How many of you know that If you're racist, it affects you. If you're the person who stereotypes people, right, and puts them into all sorts of funny categories that God hasn't, it will also have ramifications on you. So as we go through this process today and look at the effects of prejudice, we'll be looking at how it affects you as the victim, if you are a victim, and you when you're the perpetrator. Amen. Can someone switch off the, I think it's the, are these off? These um, monitors. I think that might be the thing that's causing it. Thank you. You know, I saw a video of some legalists attacking women with high heels, saying it was not modest. These guys came to a particular conference. There was a conference taking place, and they were there, and they were standing outside of it, And they were saying to, there was a speaker, Mike Murdoch, he was there going in to speak. I think it was a Benny Hinn conference or something like that. And these guys, they were legalistic, right? And they were like coming, they were saying, you'll go to hell, you will go to hell. God doesn't believe in prosperity. And then there are these onlookers, these ladies looking by and they were wearing heels. And these legalistic people also said the same thing to them. They said, the Bible says a woman must dress modestly. And look, you're wearing heels. That's what you wear when you go to the nightclub. Stop doing that. That's what they were doing. That was their mindset. And we listen to this and we think, but that's absurd. That's so crazy. But you know what they've done? They've stereotyped a group of people. 
And they've said people who dress like this, they go to those places. People who don't, they don't. Isn't that absurd? But you know, we laugh about these things, but we do it in our own way. We do it in our own way. Maybe not the example I've just given you, but we do it in our own way. And God wants to free us from that. Now, those things that I'm talking about now are to do with things people can change. Someone can change how they dress. But imagine being a victim when people hurl insults at you based on something you can't change. And that's why when it comes to racial prejudice, that's why it's very painful, isn't it? When it comes to prejudice against a specific ethnicity, it's extremely painful because you can't really change that. You can't change who your parents were. Amen? Amen. There are things I can change about myself, but I can't change who my parents were. I can't change where I was born. I can't change the country that I come from. How many of you have been rejected because of something that you can't change? Just raise your hand. How many of you have experienced rejection because of your gender? Discrimination because of your gender? Just raise your hand, please. I want to see. I'm a researcher at heart. Okay? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. I'm also a pastor. I see that hand. And I see that hand. And I say, only three. Raise your hands again. Okay? Right? How many of you have experienced prejudice and discrimination because of the country that you're from? And how many of you know that you can't change that? And so, let's get going. Number one. The first effect of prejudice and stereotyping that I want to share with you is discrimination. Discrimination. I mentioned to you before that whereas prejudice is an attitude, discrimination is an action or behavior. And studies have indicated that prejudice frequently leads to discrimination. All right? Discrimination means one group enjoys an undue or undeserved advantage over another. As a result, the disadvantaged group faces unjustified penalties or barriers. The disadvantaged group, the group that has been discriminated against, ends up experiencing unjustified penalties or barriers. Let me give you an example. In about 2013, Oprah, some of you might know this, right? Oprah Winfrey, she was in Switzerland, in Zurich. And she gets into a shop, one of those high-end stores, and she was at Tina Turner's wedding, okay, in Switzerland. That's where it was happening. So then she goes into this store, and she's wearing her sandals. She's not wearing her eyelashes and so on, or eyebrows. And, you know, she's not all funkified, all dolled up. No, she's the one who said that. It's not me, okay? And she goes in there, and she says, I would like that. I would like to see that handbag, please. And it was a Tom Ford handbag with crocodile skin, $38,000, Right? Now, it's okay if, you, if your net worth is a few billion, it's okay to buy a $38,000 handbag. And we all know how generous Oprah is, right? But what was interesting was the lady in the store basically said, um, ma'am, I, I, that would be too expensive for you. I can't, you know? So Oprah was like, okay, obviously in Zurich they don't watch Oprah, all right? <laughs> and then she left. And then it became a big thing and the people apologized and so on. Now, the undertones, usually with darker-skinned people, what we say, we say, it's racist, it's racist. But the shop 
owner explained that it wasn't really racist. She was embarrassed because of the price and this and this and that. But we don't know the real truth. But the point is that you can be discriminated against simply because of how someone sees you. Amen. And that's a consequence. It's a consequence. But guess what happens? Who wouldn't want to sell something for $38,000? I'm talking US dollars here. So what is one of the consequences of prejudice? You lose out on business opportunity. You lose out on business opportunity. And apparently the same thing happened to her when she had her crew. And she said to the guys, guys, you can buy whatever you want. And this was now in Italy. And was another handbag type of scenario where one of them wanted a particular handbag. And the people said, no, you, you can't. No, no, not you. No, you can't. I know a particular person who was very high up. I won't mention the name of the organization, one of the biggest companies in this country, very high up in that organization, almost CEO level. And he went to a car dealership and he was looking at a particular vehicle there and the people literally ignored him. And he contacted the head office, he contacted, he knew the, the people, I would, I would imagine, and he spoke to them about that. How many of you know that you can lose out on great opportunity because of how you see certain people? One of the consequences of prejudice is discrimination. And it's often very subtle. Sometimes it's gender discrimination. My wife was telling me the other day, and I've seen it happening, when they do triathlons, what tends to happen first is the men will go off first into the water when they do open water swims. The men go off first, and a couple of minutes later, a few minutes later, they then say, women, you go off now. How many of you know that sometimes discrimination... Discrimination can be very subtle and non-intentional because of people's limited view of the world. Let me explain what I'm talking about. When you say men go off, and then just a few minutes later you say, women, it's now your turn to go off. Obviously the timing is accurate, but how many of you know that you've got a lot of fast female swimmers who then catch up to the men? And what happens is it becomes a tumble-dry situation in the water. So because my wife is a very strong swimmer, often she's now trying to swim through the men. And how many of you know that it slows you down if you've got these big, heavy men now kicking you? And one guy said to her, no, it's fine. You just, you know, you just kind of like weave your way through them. And so when they were at SA Champs recently, there was a whole debate about it before the race. And they had to vote. And the women were like, you know what, no, we want it to go about maybe half an hour or so, a number of minutes later than the men. Because we end up catching up to the men and end up getting hit. Are you hearing me? So even in sport, you have that. And it's because of the mindset that says, okay, but let's let the women go afterwards. Women aren't that fast, so they'll just trail along afterwards. There are a lot of fast women out there. Amen? That's discrimination based on your gender. And some of you can give me examples in your life that you've experienced that. It's discrimination. The Bible tells us that we must not forget to be hospitable to strangers. That word hospitality in scripture literally speaks of hospitality to strangers, not just your friends and your family, just so you know, right? It says, do not forget to be hospitable to strangers. Some people did so and they entertained angels unaware. And that's in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, all right? Chapter 13, verse 2. How many of you know that one of the consequences of being prejudicial 
towards certain people is that you might rob yourself of an opportunity to meet an angel. And when that statement was made in the New Testament, it was speaking back to times in the Old Testament where that took place. It took place in the life of Abraham where he ended up having angels around him and he didn't know they were angels. Happened with Lot, happened with Samson's parents, happened with Gideon. And we don't even have to be speaking about angels in the real sense. We can just be talking about someone who becomes an angel to you. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes the very person that God wants to use to be a blessing to you is from an ethnic group that you've been told to shun. A gender that you've looked down upon. Amen? We see this happening time and time again. I want to encourage you, be careful what you call people. Be careful what you call people. I was interviewing a friend of ours uh, recently, and she was talking about work she's been doing in the inner city. And she said she doesn't like the term street kids because there's no dignity when it comes to that particular term. And then she started sharing with us the work she was doing. I was with Sipo, and we were doing a whole video documentary on this person. And she started talking about the work they were doing in Rwanda. And she said, you know what, it's amazing what is happening there because the people in the rural areas in Rwanda want to copy the model that we had in South Africa in terms of women sewing, in terms of just various things. And what was interesting for me was she then said, instead of getting high-powered consultants to go and train the people in Rwanda, what we said was, let's get the people who are living on the streets, who managed to overcome hardship, who trained themselves up or got trained up, let's have them go to Rwanda as consultants and train up the people in Rwanda. And that's exactly what they did. And she said, you guys aren't street people. You guys are not street kids. You're consultants now. I mean, if you know that, what you call someone is very important. If you're a man in this place, be very careful what you call women. Because very often what we label people as affects how we relate to them. It's discrimination. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm very careful what I call women. Women are women. Amen? Amen. Not some of the things people call women. Because to me, what you call a woman, it reveals the mindset you have about that gender. Amen. Amen. What do you call people of other ethnic groups? They're sometimes insulting terms that people use. Wherever there is racial prejudice, there, there are always names that go with it. Have you noticed that? You don't find people having racial prejudice towards a group of people, but they never call them anything negative. What you call someone or something determines how you relate to that person or thing. Sometimes the discrimination you experience in life can be because of positive things can be because of positive things. I've experienced discrimination in my life because of the car I drive. Negative discrimination. Some, there's a place where it's very positive, but there are other places where it's very negative. Right? I've had experiences with the police, for example, where I wonder, like we're all driving and there are a number of cars in a row. And then the guy sees me and it's like he's got this energy. It's like he's now on steroids, this cop. And he rushes up in front of my vehicle like this and is all highly motivated. And I'm thinking, it's fine if they're using those detectors to see if you've got any traffic fines. But often they're not. 
And then I asked them like I typically would. I then asked the guy the one time, I said, how come you guys keep stopping me? And the guy was very positive. I mean, very um, open about it, which I appreciated. He says, no, because it's the people who have nice cars like this. They're the ones who are the criminals who've got big guns behind and so on. And then I thought to myself, if I was maybe an older looking man, paler skinned, would he have done that? There are other times when the cops stop me and they're like, this is the first car like this that I've stopped this year. Oh, this is, and they'll say very nice things. Can I look inside, please? I'm, I'm, guys, I'm late, I'm going, I'm going somewhere, not for you to just have a look inside. Amen? I just want to show you that sometimes we think that it's the people on the street who are discriminated against, but sometimes even so-called successful people are discriminated against. Are you hearing me this morning? And the thing to manage is how you react to the discrimination. One of the main effects of prejudice and stereotypes is discrimination. Number two, violence. Violence. Wherever there is prejudice, that spirit of prejudice, usually when it's the spirit of racism, often will lead to a spirit of violence and death. And we've seen it happening so often. So there's genocide. That's a deliberate destruction of a political or cultural human group where deliberately you're trying to get rid of a group of people, often because you see them as a threat. You also see that another form of violence is what's called hate crime. Hate crime. This is a violent attack against a person or group because of their so-called race, ethnicity, religion, or gender. Wherever there is prejudice, you will see violence at some point. And one of the problems I have with the political narrative in this nation is that a lot of it is so violent. People laugh at some of the jokes that are cracked by politicians today, but a lot of them are very racial. And people laugh, and the result of that is we then have someone killing someone else because of the propaganda. I want to encourage you as believers in the workplace when people become violent, and by the way, violence is not just physical, violence is also verbal. Where the person who's got a good sense of humor and they were usually using their humor to build up other people, now they're using their humor to tear down people. Watch out for that because that's where it begins. It begins with the nasty jokes. It begins with the satire, with the um, sarcasm. And it has a sting to it. I want to encourage you to stand up for righteousness. Amen. Amen. Number three, there's a psychological impact when it comes to the effects of stereotypes and prejudice. How many of you know that a lot of people today are bound by feelings of shame, feelings of anger, feelings of sadness, simply because of how they've been marginalized. And please, when I'm talking about this, I want you to think broadly about it. You can be marginalized because of your ethnicity. You can be marginalized because of your age, whether you're a young person or an old person. You can be marginalized because of your gender. You can be marginalized because of your social class. But the result very often is a sense of shame. How many of you grew up in families, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you grew up in families 
where your father, you're a lady, but your father actually wanted boys. He wanted you to be a boy. I mean, if you know that the result of that very often is that you end up suppressing your femininity. The result of that is you end up becoming very competitive with the boys, saying, oh, I can also do what they can do. I mean, if you know that the result of that is you end up with a poor career choice because you just want to please daddy. If you are working in an environment where you've been put down because of your ethnicity, I mean, if you know that sometimes you end up suppressing aspects of your culture that are actually okay and they're fine. And so you will always dress another way because you don't want to identify with your culture because it's been rejected. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, it's important for us to say, am I being the best version of myself? Am I being true and authentic to what Jesus is saying to me because he accepts me? Or am I trying to be something else because of the rejection that I've experienced in my life? And we see it happening a lot. Someone grows up in, the, in an environment where they only learn to speak English much later on. And have you noticed what happens? They then go to high school, and it's one of those fancy high schools. Maybe they get a scholarship to go there. And it's always so funny because when you then see these guys speaking, you see them speaking, but you can see that their accent is, fa is fake. And then they get up, and they start speaking, right? And they're trying to be this something else, this salad boy. But there's always a tongue slip, isn't it? Right? Where something comes out and you see that this guy's got a strong rural background. If you've got a strong rural background, just embrace it. It's part of who you are and God will use you. Are you hearing me? You don't have to try and act like, oh, now I'm speaking with this, now I'm speaking with this. Unless you're genuinely mixing with those people and your accent changes. But we all know those people where they just go to the United States just for a few months, then they come back. And there's suddenly this twang they've got, and you're like, come on, bro, come on. I can understand if you've been there for 10 years. You know? It's fine. It's okay. So there's this psychological impact. You know, there's also the hidden cost of people not living up to their true potential. Because the mindset now is, you know what? You've made me feel inferior. I've embraced it. I've internalized it. I now think I'm inferior and I'll never live up to my true potential. There are a lot of women today that could be doing certain things they're not doing. But because they were raised in environments where they're told, no, but girls don't do that. Girls can't do that. No, these are the professions for women. I don't know if you've read my book, Breaking Out of the Pink Collar Ghetto, What Successful Women Do Differently. Ladies, please read it because that's where I go into that mindset of sometimes we've got this pink collar ghetto. We keep ourselves in this corner. Ladies, you keep yourself in this corner because society has told you that that's all that women can do. It's a very strong psychological impact that stereotypes and prejudice have on people. Number four, inner vows. Inner vows. Inner vows is where you end up saying, I will never do business with those type of people again. And the result is a missed opportunity. I remember a guy, I think he's a Zulu guy, and I was doing some work for his organization, helping them out, they're entrepreneurs. And I remember he said, hey guys, this thing of prejudice, it's something I need to work on. Because to be honest with you, I don't trust white people when it comes to business. And he said, you know what, because I think that they'll want something from you or they'll trick you. And he was supposed to be selling his house, but because he was looking for a black estate agent to do it, 
He ended up stalling. He ended up procrastinating. And each time this white guy would come to him and say, I can sell your house. I can sell your house. He would say, no, no, no. I just need to repaint it. I just need to retile it. He would always come up with an excuse. And at a certain point, he made a decision. Let me just give this guy an opportunity. He gives the guy an opportunity. Within a couple of days, that house is sold. So he had a positive recent experience with someone who was from an ethnic group he didn't trust. Are you hearing me this morning? All right? And for some of you, it's important that you actually create those opportunities where you say, let me give this person a chance. Let me give them a chance to disprove my theory. Because often we've got theories about people based on other people's stories and other people's experience. If someone comes to you and says, those people are like that, never trust them, never do business with an Indian person. If they come to you and they say that, you can say to them, you know what? Your story doesn't have to be my story. Your story doesn't have to be my story. Simple as that. A prejudice often becomes a habit after having it for a time. You have one bad experience with someone from a particular group. You project it onto everyone else in that group. And then it actually becomes a habit. A habit of thought, a stronghold in your mind. Once formed, prejudices can have great persistence. The person comes to believe that his opinion is well thought out. Regardless of the amount of objective information provided to suggest otherwise. Prejudices become locked in a person's thought processes. My prayer for us as a church is that those things that are hidden right now, those prejudices that we have that are subconscious, that we become conscious of them, we renounce them. And our minds are renewed concerning those things. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 to 15, there's a powerful scripture that deals with inner vows. It says, pursue peace with all men, as well as holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Be careful that no one falls short of the grace of God, so that no root of bitterness will spring up to cause trouble and defile many. Do you know why we often have inner vows that we make? I will never do this. I will never get married. I don't trust men. I don't need a man in my life. Often they stem from bitter root judgments. A bitter root judgment is often because of our own pride. That says, these people are all horrible, like you are perfect. These people con people and they overprice their products like you've never. Men are lazy. Men are, men are arrogant, like you've never been lazy or arrogant. And then in a state of bitterness, we make a judgment. And then in a state of bitterness, we make an inner vow. And that vow can be, I don't need a man in my life. Some of you right now are bound by inner vows that you've made. Your prayers are being blocked by inner vows that you've made. Because you come to a prayer meeting and you've forgotten that inner vow that you made that's controlling your life. But in the prayer meeting you're now saying, Lord, please bless me with a husband. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, maybe a husband. Then you meet a guy and you find that there's no intimacy between you and that guy you are now married to. Because there's something still in your system that says, I cannot make myself completely vulnerable to a man. These are real issues, eh? and I counsel and coach lots of people. And these are stories that come up, real life stories. 
Paul, you know what? Yeah, I think with my husband, yeah, you know, I think this is actually the situation. Yeah, because at one stage in my life, I said, I don't need a man. I don't need a man in my life. So you've got this independence thing about you. You've got this thing where maybe you're married to a guy and he's making lots of money. You don't need to be working. But there's this thing in you that says, no, but I must be doing my own thing. I must still be doing Because I mean, with these men, you never know. So now you're always tired. Now you're always working a 12-hour day because there's something in you that can't be a beauty to be rescued. You now have to hold your ground and be independent completely on your own. Are you hearing me this morning? That's the power of inner vows. And if you've made any inner vows like that concerning a group of people, concerning a gender, I want to encourage you, say the opposite thing. Renounce it. Confess it before God. And break it over your life. Amen. Number five, missing out on your purpose. One of the consequences of prejudice and stereotypes is we end up missing out on our life purpose. You say to me, Paul, but how does it end up happening? Let's look in scripture. John chapter 1, verse 43 to 46. Ladies and gentlemen, this thing of bitterness is a big issue, hey? Keep asking yourself that question. Are you bitter toward the rich? When you see guys driving out of these fancy uh, estates, what is your heart like toward them? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Is it, yeah, no. I sometimes wonder, as a dark-skinned person, relatively speaking, technically speaking, I'm military tan, okay? But you know what I'm trying to say. Sometimes I literally have this feeling where I'll overtake someone in my vehicle, and then I'll look at the person and I have this feeling of the person is thinking to myself, this must be one of those tenderpreneurs who's not really that clued up at what he does. But yeah, you can, and you can see that. You can see there's that mindset that people have. Even, with, even within church, you see it. Where the moment you're successful in your business and you've worked hard as a professional, if you're also a pastor, people assume this guy must be stealing money from the church. I remember in, in um, about, I'm not allowed to reveal my wife's age. Okay, how do I say this? Anyway, we were celebrating a particular significant birthday about three years ago, okay? And we went overseas. And I remember Pastor Michael was preaching or saying something, and he was saying, guys, when you see your pastors going to Europe on holiday, don't assume money is being stolen from the church. Are you hearing me? And I had never even conceptualized that people might actually think that. Be very careful about bitter root judgments when it comes to people who've got what you want. How I many of you know that there's the principle of appreciation? You get what you appreciate in life. With the same measure you judge another, you'll be judged. So if you make a bitter root judgment, towards someone, you will also experience it coming back. You'll reap what you sow. Amen? I don't know why I'm talking about this. I think it's a Holy Ghost rabbit trail. Just be very careful of it. Bitter root judgments. If you want something in some, that you see in someone, appreciate and honor that particular thing that you want. If you want to become wealthier, don't hate wealthy people. If you want to become prettier, you, you can. You can actually become prettier. There's what's called the beauty of holiness. 
Have you noticed that when some people are in a backslidden state, they don't look great, but as they come to know the Lord and so on, you just see them beaming and you see this beauty? Then don't be jealous of people who are prettier than you right now. Are you, are you following the logic there? That's a biblical principle. If you receive a prophet as a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. You can't receive a prophet's reward if you despise a prophet. If you want to become a pastor and a church planter, stop criticizing pastors and church planters today. Because when you then start your church, you'll experience worse. Amen? Amen. Seems like I'm scratching where it's itching. I'm seeing these. It's like people are like, it's like stuff is happening. Okay? So be very careful of that. So number five that I started was missing out on your purpose. Very often, if you're carrying prejudice in your heart, you will miss out on your purpose because the very people God wants to use to take you to your next level of ministry, to take you to your next level in your calling, next level in your business, might be people who are from a group that you have marginalized. In John chapter 1, verse 43 to 46, it says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Verse 44, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the Torah and also the prophets wrote. Now, this is very interesting. So he's quoting scripture, isn't he? He's basically saying, you know what? We've found that scripture has been fulfilled today. Now, watch this. Watch this. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's who we found. Verse 46, Nathanael says this. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip has just quoted scripture saying the Messiah will come from Nazareth. Nathaniel, who's this true Israelite that Jesus speaks of later on, he's so blind to this scripture because of his own prejudice. How many of you know that it doesn't matter how many times you're prophesied over, you can still resist the prophecy if you are prejudiced against a particular thing. If God says to you, I'm calling you to be a pastor, and you have lots of confirmation for that. But if you've grown up in an environment where you look down on being a pastor and you see being a pastor as something people do if they couldn't do anything else, how many of you that you'll resist the prophecy? Because you, you've got this bias against a particular calling. How many of you there can be discrimination against certain callings? Because it was never celebrated when we were growing up. So everyone wants to be this and everyone wants to be that. But Lord, this... I don't think it can be you. You get word after word after word. God speaks to you through scripture. Can anything good come from being a pastor? And you know what I love about Philip? Guess what he says? Come and see. Science is about observation, isn't it? He's like, come and see. And I believe that's what God is saying to some of you. You've held certain prejudices in your heart towards certain people groups. And God is just saying... Give them a chance. Come and see. 
You're like, ah, this white guy, yeah, I know, yeah, many, he's been in our church now for a number of weeks and so on, but hey, some of these guys, God is saying, come and see, get to know the person. Ah, Paul, Paul Barnabas, yeah, Pastor Paul seems to like him, he keeps talking about how he's from Nigeria, Paul Barnabas, hey, Paul Barnabas, hey, but these Nigerians, come and see. Amen? He says, come and see. And you know what I find interesting is, you look at some people, they're called, for example, uh, to be a diesel Mac. But instead, they're struggling through a degree, struggling big time through a degree because they're too proud to be a diesel Mac because of the connotations. Hey, I'll be wearing some, you know, a pair of overalls and I'll be dirty. So I don't want to do that type of thing. Have you despised certain callings? You see, they looked down on Nazareth. Nazareth was very small, hey? You know that around the time of Jesus, it was actually found, it was a farming village. They say that there were only about 150 to 200 residents, Nazareth. That's how small it was. But you know what's interesting? If you look at what Matthew says, Matthew's talking about this, and um, he quotes, and he says, he shall be called a Nazarene, Right? And this is based on what Isaiah had said in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. That word branch is the same root word for Nazareth. Nazareth speaks of a branch. So this was a prophecy in terms of where Jesus would come from. Is God trying to say something to you, but you're looking down on that particular thing, you despise it? Can anything good come from, I don't know where you're from, Bloom? And you're like, ah, people from Bloom, ah, we never do. We, I, but I'm from Bloom, guys. Clerksdorp. You know, I've, I keep meeting people from Clerksdorp. And they're amazing people doing great things. But somehow we've got this thing where if you come from one of these dorps, it's like, no, you can't do anything great. <laughs> and guys, this is not a new thing. This is what Jesus experienced. How many of you are from a small town? You're from a small town. You grew up in a small town. All right? And maybe you've got friends who still have that small town mentality, but you don't have to be bound by it. You don't have to internalize that mentality that says, people like me, we don't do great things. If you do the research on greatness, so many great people have come from small towns. It's absurd to think you have to come from a big city to do amazing things. Yeah, I'm from New York. Hey, I'm from LA and I'm the greatest in the world. Go and look at all the inventors in the world. They're not necessarily from the big towns. They moved to the big towns at this particular point in time. But a lot of them grew up in small villages. Amen? So your prejudice can blind you to prophecy. Your prejudice can blind you to opportunity. Number six, another consequence of stereotyping is we miss out on kingdom blessing. We miss out on kingdom blessing. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 58, it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. Hey, this hometown thing. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were 
amazed. How many of you have taught people before and the people are amazed? Okay, that's a nice thing. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Right? So they, they were amazed. They had seen evidence of miracles and they had seen his wisdom. But then look what happens. Because of the prejudice in their hearts and the familiarity. Isn't this the carpenter's son? You know what the mindset is? If someone is from our own village, if someone is from our own ethnic group, they can't be great. The crab mentality. You know what happens with crabs, right? When they're trying to get out of that bucket. One tries to get out, the other one pulls it down. Another one is on its way out, another one pulls it down. And we see it happening. There's a particular lady, she's a black dentist, right? And she, um, she works for a particular institution. And I said to her, why don't you start your own private practice? And she said to me, Paul, you know what? Our people, our people, they don't support. Black people go to white dentists and white people go to white dentists, but our people don't support. Then we had a conversation and there was another black female with us in the conversation. And that black female said, I go to a black dentist myself, right? And I was just challenging and I was saying, you know what? There's an abundance mentality you have to have. You cannot have a scarcity mentality. You cannot go into business with the mindset of, I won't get support, therefore I won't try. What if it works? Amen? And please, some of these things are very real issues. They're very real issues. For example, if you're a black pastor, how many white people come to your church? It's special ones, isn't it? Fact of the matter, can we talk fact, reality? Fact of the matter is we've had the Manis, we've had the Marikis, and so on coming through. But then some of them, after a few weeks, then move on. But it's the same people who want you to counsel them midweek. Are you hearing me? Same people who want you to counsel them. Same people who say, oh, I've read your book. Can I have another one? Can I also read your book? But when it comes to church, there's still those mindsets. But does that stop us from planting churches? We want diverse churches. No, we'll still plant. And the Manis will come and the Marikis will come, etc. Amen. So we still have people making decisions in this nation based on perception. If I come, I don't know, these people, can I be friends with them? Will it, am I welcome? We sing mixed songs. We sing songs in the vernac, songs in English. So what was interesting for me is that we can miss out on kingdom blessing because of prejudice. Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Are you saying someone can't be great and can't be the Messiah because you know their mother's name? I mean, think about it, guys. Think about it. The famous actresses and actors, they've all got siblings. They've all got parents. And they're people who know those parents and siblings. I remember one time we've got friends from the United States. And there's a particular lady... Um, uh, and she, she, we were interacting, and she looked at my wife, and she said, you know what, you look like, and she's basically, I don't know if you guys know Robin Wright Penn, Robin Wright Penn, the actress. Have you watched Wonder Woman? Do you guys read, like, who the actors and actresses are? <laughs> Robert Wright Penn is, do you remember with Wonder Woman, there was the aunt who then died, the aunt who was teaching her how to, te teaching her how to fight, that's Robin Wright, okay? 
Now, this lady who we are friends with basically is friends of Robin Wright's mother and knows all the sisters. And I remember she once met my wife and she says, you, you look just like those sisters. You look like them. You look just like those sisters. You're... The point I'm making is just because someone is famous doesn't mean that they don't have relatives, friends, family. Are you hearing me? But the logic and the mindset that was here was basically, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Like those are things that disqualify Jesus from being the Messiah. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Jesus had done nothing wrong. Guys, this is so absurd. People are offended just because they know the mother. And they know which area the person came from. Oh, we're from the same township. You know, growing up, I'm now, I have to translate into Shona, but direct translation, we live in the same line. <laughs> right? We went to your house and we borrowed salt from you because we had run out. So where then did this man get all these things? And you know what the problem is? Have you noticed that there's also the celebrity myth? I remember speaking to one guy, an American guy, and he does a lot of great work, he's a good communicator, and he said, you know what, guys? 50% of my business, over 50% of my business is now in Africa. He was doing a lot of work in Kenya, etc. I said, so why don't you just move to South Africa? Why don't you, he's a nice guy, why don't you just move to South Africa? And he says, then I would stop being a celebrity. And if you study these things, you'll see that the moment someone comes from out of town with a briefcase, then we think like, ah, this person is clued up. Have you noticed that? Right? Says who? Says who? I remember there's someone who traveled to the UK for a particular conference, and they were disappointed because one of the conference speakers was from South Africa. It doesn't make sense. I know a particular person who I respect and admire. He's established lots of churches. He's renowned throughout the world, written lots of books and so on. And he says, you know what? The strongest miracles I've done have been the further away I am from home. That somehow in my ministry, it seems like the stronger miracles take place when I'm further away from home. I remember being with Kwile and we went to the Val. The first time I went to the Val to minister. And he said to me, Pastor Paul, what I saw there and how I saw you, the mantle that was on you, it was just something else. And now all the pastors there, the ministers fraternal, they're like, we want this guy. How can we get hooked up? How do you guys know this person? Speaking of me. Are you hearing me this morning? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except, say to the person next to you, except, except in his own town and in his own. Husbands, honor your wives. I see the mantle on my wife. I don't despise it. Husbands, honor your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. If, if, if we feel honored in our own homes, we become the best version of ourselves. 
The worst thing is to go through life feeling so celebrated by corporate leaders out there. I experience it personally, I'll be very honest with you. Where I have top leaders who won't make decisions without consulting with me, certain important decisions. Paul, we need to speak, speak to you. Paul, Paul, we'll work with your dates. And there are times when we then decide we want to do meat or we want to do something for leaders. And I'm thinking to myself, how can we just have a handful of people here in our own church? But at that top organization, I'm saying these guys are paying me this money to go in and to be speaking to them for the next six months for many, many hours. And I'm scratching my head and I'm saying, what's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. Jesus said it. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. You know what the consequence was, ladies and gentlemen, of their prejudice? And he did not do many miracles there. Was it because he wasn't anointed? No, because of their lack of faith. My wife was, was speaking yesterday to a group of ladies. They were coming to afterwards, queuing, just to ask questions, just to drink from her wisdom. They were saying, we're going to follow you, we're going to follow you, we want more of the stuff that you've got. At a ladies' meeting that she was doing yesterday in Joburg, in, in Midrand. In July, she's speaking at a big conference, thousands of people over a couple of days in Cape Town, at a church in Cape Town. But how do we see her? Are you hearing me this morning? You get what you appreciate, you get what you honor. Sometimes it's prejudice. Sometimes we stereotype people. Ah, if someone is so good at triathlon and so on, they can't also be on top of that also very anointed as a prophet. It, it can't. Who said it can't? Jesus was a good carpenter, but he also died for our sins. Think about what, what it was like for those people. We know his mother. We used to go to his house there and say, can you please repair my cabinet? How can the person who was repairing my cabinet now be the one who's dying on a cross for me? Just think about it for these people. If the person who you hired just the other day as a carpenter to fix something at your house, will you believe him when you realize he's doing miracles and he's actually a messiah? Are you hearing me this morning? Sometimes we discriminate against certain people. We practice discrimination because of the other roles they play. And we feel like, uh-uh, this person can't do both. And we miss out on kingdom blessing. Stereotypes squash curiosity and they, bl they block relationship. But what I love about Philip, he says, I'm curious. Come and see. Come and check this out. Number seven. Number seven. Are you getting something this morning? Poor career choice. When you've never seen something being modeled, when there's a stereotype around who does what and who applies for certain jobs, you end up thinking it's unnatural for someone like you. 
You end up thinking it's unnatural for someone like you to be doing that. And it's so sad because it's a perceptual distortion. So, you know, people talk about Caucasian rhythmic disorder, you know, CRD. You know, people who think uh, white people can't dance. So, you know what ends up happening? There are a lot of good people who are so-called Caucasian, right, who are potentially very good dancers who end up just doing it at school level because they really enjoy it. But they never take it on professionally because the mindset is, eh, yeah, they say white people can't dance. But we know that's not true. Or white people can't rap. Now, if you're from my day, what about Vanilla Ice? You guys know who Vanilla Ice is, right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've been teaching my kids some of these old raps. Obviously, there's certain sections where we have to say, okay, let's skip that bit. Do you, do you guys remember Vanilla Ice? Yes, Ice Ice Baby, yes, that was the tune. Oh, Manny, were you into it? <laughs> the way my, Manny is saying it, it's like Manny is going like all like this. <laughs> all right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Okay, okay. Look at Sipo and Malemo. Guys, one of these days, I'm going to do a full-on rap for you. A full-on rap for you. Breaking the stereotype. All right. So... So here we go, here we go, poor career choice. I knew a particular family and a black South African family from the west of Gauteng, that Carltonville area. And all the siblings were doctors or dentists. And one of the interesting things was they did that partly because it was role modeled in the family. Have you noticed that some of you have been in families where a profession was the normal thing, a specific profession. And so it was easier for you to become that. I grew up in a family where my, my father, there they were 10 siblings, they're now eight. But virtually all of them have run their own businesses, have got their own businesses. So when we grew up with a dad who was an entrepreneur, for us that was normal. That was the normal route. Yet I meet many people who are so skilled, so talented, and they struggle to start their own businesses. They're like, hee, 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 not too sure yet. And you say, is this the year, my brother? Is this the year? Hee, hee, hey, pastor, I'm not too sure yet. And very often, that's the result of a stereotype we have in a family, that our family does this. Those are the people who do that. My wife grew up in a family where her dad, he owned his own business, and his mindset was like, you can't work for someone else. You can't work for someone else. So that was, that they grew up, and that was now normal, that you need to have your own business. There's nothing wrong with working for other people, but can you see where I'm going? Yeah. One of the impacts of stereotypes is it affects our career choice. It affects our career choice. Number eight, poor spousal choice. Poor spousal choice. You'll make bad decisions because of discrimination. Seriously. Let me give you an example. Fortunately, my wife made a good decision and you'll see where I'm going. <laughs> When she was praying for her husband, when she was praying for her husband, she had a whole lot of stuff on her list. May he be someone, Lord, who I can submit to. And she's an intercessor. Someone I can submit to. I've forgotten what else was on the list, you know? Someone who's like this, someone who's like this, someone who's like this. All right? Um, but then one of the things on her list was, but Lord, may he not be black. Okay? 
because she knew like she was like hey because things will be tricky to, to explain to my parents and the dynamics and so on that's why she was saying it right but how many of you know that if you want an iphone x let's say you really want the iphone x you really want the iphone x when you go to the store and you get it are you going to be phased whether it's coming in a black box or a white box or a cream box no because you want the the iphone x and I think from God's perspective, he was probably like saying, hey, my daughter, the things that you are requesting here, right now at this present moment, the packaging it comes with, it's only in this one color. <laughs> okay? Military tan in my case. Right? But the point, <laughs> the point I'm making is that when it comes to normal products, we're not fussy about these things, are we? But then sometimes when it comes to a spouse, he has to look like this, Lord. He has to be like this, and he has to... This, this, the package must be like this. And we get caught up with the package, and we forget about what's on the inside. Now, there are reasons she prayed that, and I understand that. But God didn't answer that, that portion. Because for God, what was more important was the other stuff. Amen? Be, uh, be careful also when you pray. Those of you who pray... Hopefully, Abraham, be careful what you pray for, what you ask God for, hey? Because there are times he answers and there are times he doesn't answer. Especially when you insist on a particular thing. Fortunately, she didn't insist on the whole blackness thing. When I, when I came in a black package, she received it. Do you know what happened to the children of Israel when they were complaining about the manna in the desert? Remember what happened? God ends up answering their prayer and gives them quail. And then they end up getting sick because of the quail. There are times when God will answer your prayer, even if it wasn't his first preference, especially if you're stubborn. That's why it's important for us to look and to study the word and to find out what is God's will. Because you can keep insisting and keep insisting and God becomes like, you know, one of those parents where you're just like, okay, we'll just give it to him and then maybe he'll learn that it wasn't actually that good for him. And he allows you to have it. Are you following he allows you to have it, but it wasn't actually his will. What are you insisting that God gives you? Let's be very careful also about this thing of spousal choice. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Do you remember what happened with Moses? Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 to 15. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. How many of you know that when you've got prejudice towards someone, you talk, you say things. When your heart is not right, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak, right? And it says Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. And then, you know, when the Bible likes repeating itself, for he had married a Cushite yeah, well, because of his Cushite wife, he had married a Cushite. Yes, I get it, right? So the Cushite hadn't done anything wrong. She, it didn't say because the Cushite wife did this, because she talked like this, because she worshipped a foreign god. It just said because of his Cushite wife, because of his Ndebele wife, because of his white European wife, because of his Indian wife, the relatives, nya, 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 nya. Now watch this, because you don't know the anointing on the very people you're speaking against. 
Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Familiarity again. They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. The Lord hears what we say. Right? Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Okay, we know Moses wrote this. At once, the Lord said to Moses, <laughs> At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. Sometimes God pitches up where there's judgment needed. Not just when it's like his glory. Anyway, it's another topic. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. Now you might think, but it wasn't a big deal. These guys just said, hey, doesn't God also speak to us? Come on, they hadn't been going out fornicating. They hadn't been going out doing a whole lot of idolatry stuff, adultery stuff and so on. They had just spoken ill of Moses because of his wife. And God says this, when there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Who have you been judging? Bitter root judgments. So how do you think God today feels about racial remarks that are thrown around in our country? Because that was a racial situation. It was racial prejudice because she was a Cushite. Can I just explain to you the history of the Cush, Cushites? Okay. These people were from North Africa. These people were from that area today. We call it Sudan, Ethiopia, and Egypt. And in those days, they were dark-skinned people. The word Sudan in Arabic actually means black. There's a Greek word, there's a Greek word for that area that used to be used and was the word Ethiopia, and where we get Ethiopia today. And in Greek, it also means black. She was a Cushite. She was from this certain part of Africa originally. All right. And what is interesting for me is that they spoke against him. It was a racial thing. They spoke against him because of this wife. And by the way, this is not the same. This is probably not the same as Zipporah, by the way. So don't confuse the two. Remember, Zipporah was the wife he had who was the daughter of um, Jethro. And remember, it says Jethro was the priest of the Midianites. The Midianites were a different group of people. The Midianites were, do you remember when Abraham took another wife? Remember later on, he took another wife called Keturah? And he had children with her. The Midianites came from that. All right? So, but this was 40 years back when he married Zipporah, right? This is now 40 years later. So Zipporah had probably died. I'm just saying that's, that's kind of like probably what happened, okay? I, it, it, I don't think it was a second wife. Okay, this is way after Zipporah. It says he had taken on this Cushite wife, different person, right? And you know what it says in verse 9? It says, the anger of the Lord burned against them. God does not like racial prejudice, ladies and gentlemen, regardless who it's to. Don't just think, I know often with darker-skinned people, we just think, ah, oh, they're, they're being racist to us, they're being racist to us. Happens the other way around. 
And right now, today, in this nation, it's happening the other way around. Whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. Now, it says, The anger of the Lord burnt against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from the tent, from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. And then they had to literally pray and say, God, please, please help us. And she was confined to outside the camp. And it delayed their progress as the people of God. How many people today in our nation are experiencing spiritual leprosy because of their racial prejudice and the remarks they make? Think about it. At least with Miriam, she could see it visibly, and God came down and actually told them. Could it be that in our lives, we're experiencing certain consequences because of our prejudice, but we're not aware that it's linked? We're not aware that that sickness I have is linked to what I've spoken with my mouth. Amen. Number nine, overcompensation. This is one of the main traits that develops amongst victimized people. This is now when you are the victim. Do you know what ends up happening? It's what we call traits due to victimization. So that's why you'll find, for example, if you grew up in an environment where you are told black people cannot become this profession, that profession, that profession. Guess what ended up happening? If you grew up where I grew up, all the black people now wanted to do those professions when they were now allowed to do so. Amen? Even if they weren't good at it. So we found when we did our A-levels, for example, it's like everyone wants to do maths, physics, chemistry, or maths, biology, chemistry, and study medicine. Now, it's one thing if you are good at medicine. So there's a friend of ours, and her mom was actually a lady called Dr. Makonese. She was the first black doctor, female doctor in Zimbabwe, and she was brilliant. Now, if you're called to it, that's great, and she, she does a brilliant job, and she's known in the community for what she did. But there were a number of other guys who studied medicine, but at heart, they were really entrepreneurs. And after a while, you discovered that these guys had so many practices all over, and they weren't on top of their game with all these practices. And at a certain stage in Zimbabwe, the highest number of people who were non-business people doing MBAs actually came from the medical profession. Okay? So I'm saying, why didn't guys just become business people? Why don't you just become a diesel mac? It's what we call traits due to victimization. I'm going to prove to people that someone like me, whether it's a female or whatever skin color you are, I'm going to show them that I can do it. Are you called to it? Has God anointed you to do it? And by the way, this happens throughout the world. It's what's called traits due to victimization. You see it with the Jewish people in America in particular. You see it with certain African Americans. And then that's the big thing now. Like, oh, it's so great, you're a black lawyer. That's wonderful. Yeah, my son is a lawyer. And it's all about being a lawyer. <laughs> what if your son was called to just be a rapper and rap for Jesus? Would you also celebrate it? Are you hearing me this morning? And that's why we must be careful as we are raising our kids that we're not trying to have them live out our dreams just because our dreams were squashed because of lack of opportunity. We must let them do what God has called them to do. The Bible tells us, instruct a child in the way he should go, not in the way you want him to go. And so that's very important. All right? Because the result is we end up having this happening. There's a poet and critic called Samuel Johnson. And he said, almost every man wastes part of his life 
in attempts to display qualities he does not possess. I'm going to say it again. Almost every man wastes part of his life in attempts to display qualities he does not possess. Are you working hard trying to display and get stuff out of you that God didn't even put in in the first place? Number 10 is what we call stereotype threat. Stereotype threat. This is a type of self-fulfilling prophecy that occurs because of fear that it will occur. So, for example, you find someone is told, hey, but you know what? If you're a woman, you know, women aren't that good at maths, eh? So just be careful about applying for that particular position, hey? Because, you know, women, yeah, men are better, you know? Because women, eh, when it comes to some of the scientific stuff, eh, yeah, you want to be a surgeon? Oh, no, that's more for men. Then now you find that you are hearing this over and over again. You thought you could do well in it, but you don't want to end up fulfilling that prophecy or being stigmatized at, oh, you see, you weren't actually that good. Why did you try in the first place? And then you stop trying. It's called stereotype threat. And guys, it happens a lot, eh? We've seen an interesting thing that's happened. Um, and if you want to look at my notes, you can see um, some of the research that has been carried out. But in essence, stereotype threat occurs when people fear that they will live up to a negative stereotype about their group. In response to that fear, they participate in disengaging and self-defeating behaviors that ironically cause them to live up to the feared stereotype. So, for example, a test was done, Stanford University has done some of these tests and so on, and other universities, where they, where they actually told women about the gender dynamics to do with issues of mathematical ability. And the result of these women hearing this, they didn't perform as well as the guys. But then when women weren't told all those dynamics, they did just as well. Are you following? There was a group of black people, for example, and when, that, when a test was labeled, it's an intelligence test. Because these black students had been told before that white people are cleverer, they didn't perform as well. But when the test was labeled a problem-solving exercise, the exact same test, the black people did just as well as the white people. We see this happening. And please, just stay with me and think about these things and say, how am I limiting myself because of what I've been told? Some of you are foreigners here and you've been told, you know, in South Africa, you can't get opportunities. You can't, I don't even apply. And so you don't apply. We see this in the sporting world. We've got a sports coach here. We see it in the sporting world, sporting arena where very often black people are told, you guys are just naturally athletic. You're naturally athletic. And then white people are told, you guys are stronger when it comes to sport intelligence. Don't worry, I know those guys are, they're naturally athletic, but you're strong in sport intelligence. And you know what happens? A self-fulfilling prophecy takes place. Where now the coaches just focus on sports intelligence with the white guys and say, just, you can outthink them. You can outsmart them. We even have movies like that. And then these guys, just focus on their natural athleticism. Let me just pump weights, let me just pump weights, let me just pump weights. What if this guy also has sports intelligence and we need to encourage that? Does that make sense? And what if this guy can actually do more with his athleticism and we need to encourage it? I remember uh, I played 15, 
A's rugby in school days. I know it doesn't look like it. But um, basically, our back line was pretty much the relay team in terms of uh, we were very fast. And I was the outside center. And I remember as soon as I would get the ball, the other line was already up against us. And I would try and get it out to this guy called Obi. Now, Obi Akunwafo, he was super fast. His nickname was Robocop. Robocop. He was super fast. He was a big Igbo Nigerian guy. And he had, I think his parents were diplomats, so he had been based in the States before, comes to Southern Africa, is now playing rugby. He had been exposed to American football. So initially he didn't know all the rules, and people just say, Obi, because of your speed, just get the ball and just run. <laughs> now, Obi was an intelligent guy. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't we tell Obi a lot about the sport intelligence. Why did we just look at him and just think, this guy is a beast, he's a freak, he's fast. Let him just run with the ball. Just get the ball, run. Don't worry too much about the rules, Obi, just run. <laughs> and we did so well. But we could have done even better if we said, okay, guys, let's outsmart them also. Amen? Number 11, social groups and cliques. I've said this to you before, but very often, you know, you'll have the jocks there, you know, and then their whole group and so on. Hey, we're into the sports, we're into this, hey, we do our thing, and, right? You have them, and they develop a mindset that this is what I am, this is my identity. So they're stereotyped into that, and then they're not working hard in terms of work because they don't want to be seen as a nerd. Then you have the guys who are really good at computers, who've been branded the nerds, but potentially could be good at sport too. And what I've loved about my kids' school is when I see some of the top academic kids also being some of the top sports people. There's a boy called Karl Hans, a friend of my, my, my son's, and he's one of the top guys in terms of academics, but he's also probably all around the top sportsman in their age group. There's another guy called Alistair, Definitely the top guy academically, but he's also the top swimmer. There's a guy called Caleb, one of the top swimmers, strong athlete, but also one of the strongest academically. You can be both. Don't label yourself. Don't say, I'm just, hey, I'm so good at cooking. Cooking is my only thing. Is there something you need to master? Is there something you need to master that you were never exposed to earlier on in your life? Number 12. Entrapment by the enemy. The enemy wants to entrap us. And this is how he does it. When we make those inner vows and those bitter root judgments, Bible tells us, Matthew 7, verse 1 to 3, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, this is why the devil wants us to discriminate. The devil wants us to have prejudice against people because we're then caught in a snare. We're caught in a trap where we won't prosper in our lives because of the attitude we've had with, uh, towards other people. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? Stereotypes and prejudice cause the enemy to trap you. The enemy wants you to judge others from a bitter root so that he has a legal right to mess up your life. When I judge someone else, it opens a door for the enemy to have the legal right to mess me up in that very same area. The enemy will use your prejudicial behavior to limit you. And this is a trap that we need to be aware of.
And then finally, number 13, the subconscious use of stereotypes. This is so subtle. Very often, we actually use stereotypes to our benefit. And because we do that, we reinforce them in our lives. Let me give you an example. There's the stereotypical woman who's the damsel in distress. You know the damsel in distress? Oh, rescue me. Oh, I'm so weak. Now that's a stereotype, right? A stereotype, women are weak and they need you to rescue them. Have you noticed what ends up happening? A lot of women will use that stereotype to their own advantage. So when she's there with her girlfriends, she's all strong, she's all... And then now when she's with this guy and she wants what she wants from him, okay, oh, can you fix this for me? Ah, oh. I want to ask you, how are you using stereotypes to your own benefit? There might be a stereotype that says rich people or clever people don't steal. And so part of your personal brand is to show I'm really clever so that you don't think I steal. Can you see how we use stereotypes very often to our own advantage? And sometimes it's not good because sometimes we actually within that same matrix playing that same game, playing that same game. Amen. Does that make sense? Okay. You see children doing it. We used to joke with our kids and we'll say, put on that voice, that voice you like putting on when you want something from mom. Mommy, can I please have that? I'm like, do you know what? That, that's what, it's based on a lie. It's based on a lie that believes that my mom is only generous with me if I act like a baby. My mom only likes babies. My mom will not be generous to me if I act like a mature boy. That, that's really what's going on there. Be careful how you use stereotypes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and we thank you for what you've imparted to us this morning. Lord, we come to you as a people and we say, forgive us. Forgive us for where we have sinned against you, Lord God, by embracing these lies. I pray, Father God, that for each person here this morning, you would bring to the surface all those things in our lives and in our hearts that do not embrace your truth. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness where we've stepped out and we've judged others based on face value, based on the color of their skin or their gender or their social class. We ask for your forgiveness as a church and as a people. May you wash us clean. Lord, may you search our hearts and see if there's any wicked way within us, any wicked way, Lord God, where we've made judgments, where we've been trapped by the enemy because of these judgments. Father, may you free us to believe your truth, Lord. Father, I pray for those who've received prophecy from you, but have resisted it because of a negative connotation concerning the call of God, concerning the business opportunity or the type of career. I pray, Lord, that your people are freed up this morning to be who you've called them to be.